Good morning, listeners, and I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with the College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and I want to say a big thank you for listening in to our weekly radio broadcast. This radio broadcast is one of several options that our church currently offers as ways for you to stay engaged with the life of our congregation, ways to encourage your faith and enrich your faith as you begin a new week every week, and we are grateful that you would join us for this weekly radio broadcast. And we want to let you know that there are other connection opportunities for you. If you go to collegehills.org, you can find out more about our on-campus gatherings and our online gatherings. And there you can get to know us a little bit better as a congregation. And we would always love to have you as a guest if and when you can make it at 1401 Leeville Pike. We are going to be looking at a text today from an Old Testament passage that is one that has bubbled up in my imagination over the last many weeks as I've been thinking about the time in which Christians find themselves and some of the challenges and opportunities that this season brings and provides. And I want to look at a passage today in Daniel chapter 3 as our guiding passage, and I want to look at a story that is likely a familiar story if you have read Daniel before or if you're familiar with certain famous stories in the Old Testament. And so in some ways this story might sound familiar, but I also want to highlight a few things this morning that I think are particularly relevant for the time in which we find ourselves. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 3 today. Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. It's a bit longer of a passage, but I think it's important for us to hear the whole story in order to fully grasp what's happening and to better understand some things that I think are worth highlighting in this passage. So, Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent for the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to assemble and come to the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When they were standing before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire music ensemble, you are to fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, an entire music ensemble, 
all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, an entire music ensemble, shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is this true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, an entire music ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the ways in which your word continues to speak, that even with these old stories that there are fresh and relevant lessons and insights into what it means to be faithful today. And so today I pray that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice and be transformed by it more into the image of your son Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin our sermon this morning with a confession. Confession is always a good way to start a sermon, so here's mine. I like to win. I like to win. There, I've said it. I got that off of my chest. I feel better. I don't know if you feel better, but I feel better. And I'm not sure if this is something that you could say about yourself personally, but I'm sure you know somebody or have a friend who likes to win. You know somebody who, whether they're playing golf or uno, spades or scrabble, that they like to win. And many people who feel this way don't just feel it in an individual sense, but they also feel it in a corporate sense. That if you look around our world, it's not just that individuals like to win, but communities like to win. Whether it's a favorite sports team or family, company, political preference, church, or faith tradition, people like to win as communities as well as, as individuals. 
Communities like to win. Communities like to feel successful. Communities like results, just like individuals. And because I'm this person, and I have some friends who are like this too, when I hear about challenges that the church faces, when I hear things about how Christianity as a whole is struggling in America and in certain parts of the world, where there are these studies of fading acceptance and priority of Christian faith and faith in general, then those are difficult for me to hear. People who comment on these studies will describe the situation of the church in a variety of ways. Maybe some of you have heard some of these expressions. People will say things like, we, the church, are swimming upstream in our culture. Sometimes people will say things like, we're struggling against the tides of change in our world. That we, the church, is moving more and more to a place that is sometimes known in the Bible as a place of exile. To be exiled is to be pushed out, pushed to the sides, pushed out of what is popular, what is dominant in a world. And because of these studies and because of these conversations, the question many people are asking is, so what does it mean to have faith in a world where it seems harder and harder to be faithful? What does it look like to have faith when you feel exiled, when you feel excluded, when you feel pushed to the edges, when you feel like the church's voice in national conversations too easily gets drowned out, when you feel like the church's influence in the world is losing momentum, that the church's identity is being threatened by outside forces, like the church's relevance is fading to some new trend or technology. And whether or not you feel like this new reality is the result of forces outside of the church or because of the way the church has acted in the past, more and more Christians are quick to admit that the world is changing and this creates unique challenges for the church. It creates an exile moment for people who call themselves believers. And because of this feeling of exile, this feeling of uncertainty, irrelevancy, and dislocation, the people of God can react in a variety of ways to a situation like this one. Some get anxious, so they begin wringing their hands and worrying about the future, trying desperately to hold on to the past, though it should be noted that it's hard to hold on to anything when you're busy wringing your hands. But when people get anxious, they can often long for the good old days of faith back when things seemed more certain. And by permanently looking backward, they believe that they can adequately face the future. Some people get angry. Instead of wringing their hands, they pound their fists and think that the only way to face rival agendas is to fight like mad. They often 
think that there is a kind of culture war to fight, and it doesn't matter who gets in their way, even if it might be the neighbor they're called to love. Some get apathetic. Instead of wringing their hands or pounding their fist, they go all together and shrug their shoulders because it doesn't really matter what we do in this life, or so they may assume. They may say things like, well, we're just passing through. They may quietly whisper whatever and ignore the prayer that says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whether it's anxiousness or anger or apathy, there are all kinds of reactions that a person can have when they're in exile because exile is a scary place. And sometimes it's hard to know what it looks like to be faithful in exile. But the good news is that this is not the first time the people of God have found themselves in exile. We've been here before. This is one of the things that I appreciate about reading through Scripture. Because as I read through the story of Scripture, I see over and over again how the church, the people of God facing challenges and struggles, is nothing new for the people of God. Our ancestors of faith have faced challenges and struggles before. In the chapter that we just heard read in Daniel chapter 3, describing the situation of Daniel, is particularly important for a church that feels like they're in exile because this is exactly the place where the people of God find themselves in Daniel's day. The people of God find themselves in a place where the voice they had in Jerusalem is being drowned out by Babylonian invasion. The influence that they had is losing momentum in the face of Nebuchadnezzar's polytheistic religion. Their identity is being threatened by an empire trying to strip them of their distinction. They are at a place in the story that's filled with uncertainty, irrelevancy, and confusion. They're in exile. And in our text today, we're given an important snapshot into the struggle that the people of God feel through the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three young men who feel the struggle of exile and who face the challenge of being faithful. These are three young men who are taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. They're under the influence of the power of the empire. These are three young men who get new names from the king, names taken from three Babylonian gods who reflect the values of the polytheistic religion. These are three young men who are able to remain faithful through the first two chapters of Daniel, but when we get to chapter 3, they face a crisis on another deeper level. And it's in this story in chapter 3 that we know This story in chapter 3 is one that is fairly familiar. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the fiery furnace. I've heard it since I was young in the church. It's a well-known story in our world because it captures our imagination. Like me, you may have heard this story growing up in Sunday school. 
There may be some VeggieTale fans out there who have watched the video and are singing that famous song to themselves right now, which I'm not going to sing or it'll get stuck in your head too. We know this story because it's simple enough, right? Nebuchadnezzar has a huge idol that he has built and he commands all of the people to bow down to it or they'll be killed. And when these three young men refuse, some of their rivals tell on them and this forces a standoff. Amazingly, they hold their ground. But tragically, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And just when Nebuchadnezzar thinks that they're finished, he looks into the furnace and sees a fourth angelic figure with them. They escape the furnace without a singe or smell of fire. And Nebuchadnezzar praises them and their God and even promotes them to a higher position. Story over. People of God prevail. God wins. Nebuchadnezzar loses. And we think, well, let's all go home. We know how this story goes. Because we know the story, right? Well, I thought I did. But the thing that I realized this week was that I don't really know the whole story. I know the end of the story because... We win, and I like it when we win. But I realized that if we are talking about being faithful in exile, then we're looking at the wrong place in the story. Because the faith in the story does not come at the end of the story. Faith comes right in the middle of the story. And the faith found in the middle of the story from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a challenging picture of what it means to have faith in exile. Right in the middle of this story, standing before the king, three men say to him, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Did you hear what they said? They didn't just say that if God delivers them, they would not bow down. They say even if he doesn't deliver them, even if they die in the fire, then they will not bow down. They say that they're going to be faithful regardless of the outcome. And that's a challenging picture of what it means to have faith. Faith in exile is saying that you will be faithful to God regardless of the outcome. And this is a challenging view of faith because it challenges so many of the ways we think it means to be faithful in exile. It challenges the anxious faith, bowing down to the idol of worry that is busy wringing hands and looking backwards and asks if we'll be faithful enough to turn around and walk into the uncertain future. This faith challenges angry faith, bowing down to the idol of violence that is busy pounding fists, knocking out enemies, and it asks us if we will be faithful enough to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. This kind of faith challenges apathetic faith. It 
bows down to the idol of indifference that is busy shrugging shoulders and asks us if we will be faithful enough to begin the hard, prayerful work of bringing the kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. This faith challenges that ever-tempting transactional faith that bows down to the idol of winning that only stays faithful if there is reward, success, or results involved. And it asks that kind of faith to be faithful enough to let go of outcome altogether and to be faithful not because of winning in this life or winning in the next life, but simply because of who God is and our commitment to be faithful to Him no matter what. This is the faith we see in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is the faith we see throughout the story of Scripture, a faith that is faithful regardless of outcome. It's the faith we see in Peter and John in Acts, when they stand before the rulers of their day and tell them that no matter what, they will only obey God and not people. It's the faith we see in Paul, who writes a letter from prison with an uncertain future and tells this church that whether life or death happens to him, All that matters to him is that Christ is exalted. It's a faith we see in all the disciples who left home and friends, jobs, and family for the single pursuit of this rabbi named Jesus, and they ventured after him, not knowing the result. It's a faith that we see in Jesus himself who had a chance to escape death, but trusted more in the power of God than in the power of Pilate. It's the faith that we see in God himself who time and time again offers himself to humanity, most fully seen in Jesus, letting go of outcome and not knowing how people would respond. This is not an easy faith that we see in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or in the story of Scripture, but no one ever said it was going to be easy to have faith in exile. And yet this is the faith we're called to have today. A faith that says, no matter what the outcome, we will not bow down to false gods. Rather, we're going to stay faithful to the one true God. I remember about 10 years ago having coffee with a trusted friend and mentor of mine. And I was wringing my hands about some things that were going on in my life. And I was frustrated because... To be honest, I wasn't seeing the results that I thought I should be seeing in my life, in my relationships, in my ministry, places where I was deeply investing. And I felt confused and frustrated and a bit scared about what was next and what this meant for my life. And he had a good relationship with me, and so he looked me straight in the eye and said, Wilson, if you're going to live life as a disciple of Jesus in the kingdom of God, then you are going to have to let go of outcome. And I sat there with a confused look on my face because it seemed impossible. And to be honest, there are times where I think of his words to me and it still feels like an impossibility. But then, every once in a while, I have these moments. I have these moments where I see people around me live out this faith. 
I see people around me who face challenges, who have had setbacks in life, who have had deep losses of relationships and friends and loved ones. And yet it's from some of these individuals that I've also seen some of the most deeply rooted faith that I could have ever imagined. That I see in people who have had setbacks, people who have experienced their own kind of exile, deeply rooted and grounded trust, not in outcomes, but in God. I've made this observation with several people close to me in my life, people who have had very challenging things happen to them, and yet are also some of the most faithful people that I've ever met. And as I've talked to them and listened and tried to glean wisdom from them, the thing that I've been reminded through them is that exile is not an empty place, but exile is a formative place. Exile is not just a place where we think that nothing good is happening, but exile can be a place where God can work on us in unique and powerful ways. That it can be a faith-formative place if we allow it to be. And that's really the choice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. They found themselves in this place of exile, going against the stream, going against what was popular and what everyone else was doing. And they could have allowed this place of exile to be a place where they just went with the flow or got apathetic or angry or anxious. But instead, they allowed it to be a place where they could be formed into more faithful individuals. And it was because of their willingness to be formed and their willingness to be faithful that they were able to experience a unique deliverance from God. They were, in other words, able to come into deeper relationship with God because they allowed exile to be a place of formation and faithfulness. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know if you feel like you're in a season of losing, a season where you don't seem to feel like you can even get a win. And that may be on an individual level. You're facing personal challenges that are overwhelming you. Or maybe you feel it in a larger, more corporate, communal sense of challenge where it seems like your community, whatever that community may be, is facing challenges and setbacks and struggles. But regardless of whether it's on an individual level or a communal level, this story from Daniel reminds us that those places can be places of faith. 
that those places and, and seasons in our life can be places and seasons where God does amazing transformative work. Because that's the other big theme that we see running throughout the story of Scripture, that it's in those places of wilderness, those places of exile, those places of uncertainty and grief and loss, that God does powerful things, that God can still move in those places and God can still show up and surprise us with grace in those places. And we are called to have faith in those places, trusting and believing that we don't have to bow down to some generic idol, but we can allow those places to become avenues for us to move deeper into relationship with God so that even in exile, the world can see in me and in you and in our churches that we are people who are going to be faithful no matter what because we believe that God can still shape and deliver and transform us even in the most difficult and dark of places. So this week, my prayer for you and for me is that we would allow our faith to be deepened and that we would be able to see the power and work of God no matter what kind of exile we may find ourselves in. Amen.